On July 14, 2022, Alec Murdoch was indicted on double murder charges in the deaths of his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul. He pled not guilty. Jury selection began on January 23rd of this year. The trial lasted 28 days before the jury quickly returned a guilty verdict. In this episode, I'd like to discuss the Netflix documentary, Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal, which was released in early January of this year, the evidence presented at the trial, what listeners of this podcast thought about the case, and where the related cases of Gloria Satterfield and Stephen Smith's deaths stand now. There is much to love about North and South Carolina, but the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town. Some may involve people that are still missing to this day. But all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for True Crime in the Carolinas. Episode 56, A Reflection on the Alec Murdoch trial and other related updates. The first episode of Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal, begins with the details from the 2019 boat crash that resulted in the death of 19-year-old South Carolina resident Mallory Beach. These are details that have been shared in numerous newscasts, podcasts, and other documentaries. You then get the backstory of the Murdoch family as the group of friends involved explain the dynamics of the Murdochs and the relationships between various family members. All the young adults involved in the boat crash are interviewed, and the pain in their voices is evident. Mallory Beach's parents are also interviewed, and you get to hear her friends discuss what an important part of their lives she was. You hear firsthand from Paul's ex-girlfriend, Morgan, who was one of Mallory's best friends. She shed a lot of light on the dynamics of the Murdoch family, including their love of always having alcohol around, even for their underage kids and their friends. Morgan also shared details about her complicated relationship with Paul, how at first they were happy together, but when he began physically and emotionally abusing her, she became conflicted. Her two best friends, Mallory Beach and Miley Altman, who were also in the boat crash with her, wanted Morgan to break up with Paul because they could see the toll the relationship was taking on her. The second episode of the documentary focuses on the weeks following the boat crash and the evidence the Beach family's attorney uncovered during his investigation. They hired a biomechanical engineer to examine where everyone was on the boat when it crashed into the bridge. The families involved in the boat crash grew more and more frustrated with the delay in bringing charges against Paul, who was proven as the driver, and then the subsequent special treatment he seemed to receive after he was charged. Episode 2 ends with the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch on June 7, 2021. A local reporter provides foreshadowing that these murders helped unearth all the skeletons that were in the family's closet. Episode 3 breaks down the suspicious deaths of local resident Stephen Smith and the Murdoch's longtime housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield. 
Alec Murdoch's trial was one that many people took time out of their day to watch. A sociocultural professor from Benedict College named Sybil Rosato shared her opinion on why this case captured the attention of so many people. First of all, there's the level of power the Murdoch family had over their small South Carolina community for decades. She said that all the new information revealed in the trial let people imagine what could have happened, and she added, everyone loves solving a puzzle. This situation represented a puzzle, she said. It was a digital puzzle. It was a crime puzzle. It was a power and control puzzle. Prosecutors believed the fear of having his vast financial crimes revealed led Alec to commit the murder of his wife and youngest son. He had spent years embezzling millions of dollars from clients and his law firm where he worked as a personal injury lawyer, and the Mallory Beach civil case would have disclosed the state of the Murdoch's finances. Prosecutors believed he murdered Paul and Maggie to delay the efforts to get him to share his financial records. Alec Murdoch had to reveal he lied about the timeline of his whereabouts on the night of June 7, 2021. From the start of the investigation, he told law enforcement that he was napping at the Moselle estate before driving to his mother's house for a visit. He said he was not at the dog kennels where Paul and Maggie were murdered prior to finding them. During the trial, prosecutors presented a 58-second video from Paul Murdoch's phone that revealed Alex's voice in the background, along with Maggie's. You don't actually see Alec Murdoch in the video, but a half-dozen witnesses during the trial confirmed the voice to be his. On February 19, 2023, the Herald, out of Rock Hill, South Carolina, shared the following timeline in their coverage of the trial that I thought was a helpful way to view the events that happened the night of Maggie and Paul's murders. The following information was presented during the trial by South Carolina Law Enforcement Division agent Peter Rudofsky. At 7.39 p.m., Paul Murdoch took a Snapchat video of his dad straightening a droopy tree on the Moselle property. In the video, Alec was wearing a blue shirt and light-colored slacks. Those clothes are now missing, and prosecutors theorized they were worn during the murder. Around 8 p.m., Maggie arrived at the property, and she and Paul had a meal together prepared by their housekeeper. It is unclear whether or not Alec ate with them. Around 8.30 p.m., Maggie and Paul went to the dog kennels, which were located a few hundred yards from the house. At 8.40 p.m., Paul had a brief phone conversation with his friend, Rogan Gibson. At 8.49 p.m., both Paul and Maggie's phones were locked for the last time. Texts went unanswered. Paul was killed by two shotgun blasts to the head and chest. Maggie's leg, chest, and skull were pierced by four or five shots from an assault rifle. Alec's phone showed him being offline between 6.52 p.m. to 9.04 p.m. That was when Alec tried to call Maggie. The OnStar navigation system in his 2021 Chevy Suburban recorded the car moving away from Moselle at 9.07 p.m. as he tried to call Maggie again. After leaving the property, his SUV slowed down as he passed the place where Maggie's cell phone would be found the next day. He made several different phone calls during that time while driving around 52 miles per hour. 
At 9.22 p.m., the Suburban was put into park at his mother's home in Almeida, where a caretaker testified she saw Alec, who stayed for around 20 minutes. The OnStar data showed Alec drove his vehicle to a wooded area behind his mother's house for a minute. Prosecutors implied he might have hidden the murder weapons at the time. They also admitted they did not search that area for evidence until three months after the murders. At 9.47 p.m., Alec texted Maggie, Call me, babe. At 10.06 p.m., he arrived back at Moselle and went into the house. He came out, then drove to the dog kennels, where he discovered the bodies of his wife and son, and called 911 to report the murders. The state presented 59 witnesses and roughly 400 exhibits of circumstantial evidence in their case against Alec Murdoch. Members of the jury were taken to Moselle, the secluded estate with a fishing pond, more than 1,000 acres of farmland, a four-bedroom house, and the dog kennels where Paul and Maggie's bodies were discovered. Alec Murdoch took the stand in his own defense, which some legal experts believe was a bad idea. When confronted with the evidence that he had lied to police about not being at the kennels with Paul and Maggie on the evening of their deaths, he said the paranoia created by his long-term opioid addiction kept him from telling the truth. He said he was afraid if he admitted to being at the dog kennels, the police would focus on him as a suspect without looking at the real murderers. The Anderson Independent Mail also highlighted some other important facts revealed at the trial. Firearms and ballistics experts testified that the fired 300 blackout rounds found near Maggie's body were cycled through the same rifle that fired rounds at the family home. This points to her being murdered with a family weapon. Spent rifle cartridges, as well as the 12-gauge shotgun shells found near Paul's body, were also the same type and manufacturer brand as the ones found in the Murdoch home and outbuildings. Alex said his son's rifle was either lost or stolen around 2020, but witnesses at the trial refuted that claim by saying they had seen Paul shooting with it just a few months before the murder. Two Murdoch family employees testified Alec appeared to be coaching them on what they should say about the night of the murders when questioned by police. Shelley Smith said Alec told her to say he was at his mother's house for 30 or 40 minutes, when in reality he was only there for 20. Blanca Simpson Turbiate said Alec wanted her to say he had been wearing the same clothes all day. Cell phone video evidence from Paul's phone showed him wearing a different outfit when police arrived to investigate the murders. Law enforcement believed he changed clothes and cleaned himself up after the murders. The trial lasted six weeks. It took the jury less than three hours to return with the verdict in his trial. I found an excerpt in The New Yorker, written by James Lasden, that I thought gave an interesting view of the verdict. But for some observers, myself included, the alleged motive behind the crime strained belief. Would a functional, albeit opioid-addicted, middle-aged man blast his 22-year-old son in the chest and head with a shotgun and then gun down his wife of three decades with five bullets from a semi-automatic blackout within a few minutes of chattering with them about Bubba and the chicken? just in the hope of warding off an approaching storm of legal troubles? 
Justice may have been served, but the human element of the story just didn't add up. The judge in the case sentenced Alec Murdoch to two consecutive life sentences. Before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. A few years ago, I came across a woman named Erin Sanderson on Instagram, and once I saw her demo the skincare products she had created, I decided to give them a try. I was hooked from the first drop. I use her pre-cleanse oil, hydrating beauty oil, and perfecting night oil. The pre-cleanse gently removes dirt, impurities, and even waterproof makeup without tugging, all without stripping or drying out your skin. In addition to keeping your skin clear, it also helps your skin feel firmer and reduces the signs of aging. The Hydrating Beauty Oil is a powerful and effective skin hydrator that never leaves your skin feeling greasy. The Signature Squalene Oil is also known for its anti-inflammatory and anti-aging properties. It's perfect for treating skin conditions like acne and eczema and reducing the appearance of wrinkles. The Perfecting Night Oil is loaded with vitamin E and A and is rich with antioxidants and omegas that nourish skin, replenish elasticity, and reduce stretch marks. A few drops a day leave skin smoother, more vibrant, and youthful. Altogether, they are the literal dream team of skincare. Since I began using these products, I rarely wear foundation anymore. I start my day with pre-cleanse oil and my daily cleanser of choice, put on my own moisturizer, and layer it with a few drops of hydrating beauty oil. Then I put on whatever eye makeup I'm wearing that day, lipstick and loose powder. That's all. I can't believe how bright and flawless my skin looks since starting these products. Want to try the products out for yourself? Go to shopxerin.com and use the code MISSINGCAROLINAS10 for a 10% discount on your order. Next, I'd like to talk about WOW Women on Writing. By day, I work as a journalist, but I also enjoy creative writing and entering writing contests. If you like writing creative nonfiction, I encourage you to check out the Creative Nonfiction Essay Contest over at WOW Women on Writing. The mission of this contest is to inspire creative nonfiction and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally. All ages are welcome to enter, and entries must be in English. Your story must be true, but the way you tell it is your chance to get creative. WOW is open to all styles of essay, from personal essay to lyric essay to hybrid essay and beyond. The deadline for the latest creative nonfiction contest is April 30th. This specific contest will have 20 winners and more than $1,350 in cash prizes. First place wins $500. WOW allows a maximum of 300 entries. You can also purchase a critique to get more feedback on your writing. Learn more at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now let's get back to the show. I wanted to provide a few more updates to some of the other cases that have been tied to the Murdoch family. In the case of housekeeper Gloria Satterfield, her son Tony Satterfield has expressed his family's wish that her body be exhumed for further examination. He says the family wants to rule out any indications of foul play. Gloria Satterfield was pronounced dead at Trident Medical Center in North Charleston after being injured in a reported trip and fall incident while working inside the Murdoch's Hampton County home on February 26, 2018. 
She had been hospitalized in early February after the fall, but didn't pass away until a few weeks later. In September 2021, South Carolina law enforcement division officials put out the statement that a coroner had found inconsistencies surrounding Gloria's death. The incident was not reported to the coroner in 2018, and there was no autopsy performed at the time. Remember, at the time of her death, Alec approached Gloria's sons and advised them that he had insurance on his property that would result in a cash settlement for her family. Alec eventually collected more than a half a million dollars in the settlement, but never distributed any of that to the Satterfield family. In an article published by People magazine, Tony Satterfield's attorney said while he doesn't believe anyone on the Murdoch property would have been intentionally pushed Gloria down a flight of stairs and then called for medical help, the police have had doubts that the family's dogs caused her fall, 12 broken ribs, and significant and fatal head injuries. An exhumation may help give the family more insight on what could have happened. Sandy Smith, the mother of deceased 19-year-old Stephen Smith, has raised more than $90,000 for an exhumation of her son's body and private autopsy. Stephen was found on a rural Hampton County road a few miles from the Murdoch family property on July 8, 2015. His death was initially ruled as being caused by a hit-and-run accident, possibly from a side mirror of a car or truck, although many in the community found the circumstances suspicious. There was no vehicle debris on the scene, no skid marks, and Stephen's shoes remained on his feet, despite being loosely tied. At the time of his death, law enforcement immediately began hearing rumors that the Murdoch family, specifically Paul and Buster, were involved in Stephen's death. But they could never find anyone with first-hand information, other than hearsay, so neither brother was ever questioned or interviewed. Buster Murdoch released a statement recently denying any involvement in Smith's death. He said, Before, during, and since my father's trial, I have been targeted and harassed by the media and followers of this story. This has gone on far too long. These baseless rumors of my involvement with Stephen and his death are false. I unequivocally deny any involvement in his death, and my heart goes out to the Smith family. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division is asking anyone with relevant information on the death of Stephen Smith to call 803-737-9000 and ask for investigative services. I was curious about what the public's perception of the trial and verdict were, so I put out a call on the Missing in the Carolinas Instagram and Facebook pages. I asked people to weigh in on the following questions. Number one, did you watch the trial? If so, what did you think about the prosecution's case, the defense's case, and the verdict? Number two, what are your thoughts on the Netflix documentary, Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal? Number three, why do you think this case has captivated the country? Number four, do you believe Alec Murdoch is truly guilty? Number five, as this case has been covered by so many podcasts and documentaries, which one did you think was the most comprehensive? Here are the responses I got. First, from Facebook. Janet J. said that she watched the trial. 
She said that she thought both sides did a great job presenting the evidence. She also commented she felt it was obvious some of the people interviewed for the Netflix documentary were getting paid, and that made her doubt some of the facts. She said she thinks so many people were interested in this case because corruption is fascinating. She also believes Alec Murdoch is guilty, but did not think the prosecution had enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. She thought the Murdoch Murders podcast by Mandy Matney was the most comprehensive, while the Murdoch family murders, the impact of influence, was the least biased. Holly B. said while she watched some of the trial, she paid closest attention on the days Alec Murdoch took the stand. She has not watched the Netflix documentary, but she watched the one on HBO Max, Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty, and thought it was well done. She said she believes the mix of murder and corruption made this case more interesting to the public, as well as the feeling that wealth and privilege should not make someone above the law. She believes Alec is guilty, and the cell phone video and lie about being at the dog kennels was the key to the conviction. She mentioned the podcast The Prosecutors had some good episodes about the Murdoch trial. She listened to the early episodes of the Murdoch murders, but not the later ones. John G. said Alec Murdoch should not have taken the stand. Betty M. said she does not believe Alec murdered his wife and son. Bess L. said Alec was so guilty of murdering his own wife and son. A listener named Michelle sent me a message on Instagram that said she didn't like how the Netflix documentary featured people saying Maggie didn't show love to Paul. She said that even if that was true, it didn't need to be mentioned. Carrie Kay said she did not watch the HBO Max series, but did watch the one on Netflix, as well as the most recent Dateline episode on the case. During the trial, she felt like the detective that put together the timeline with the cell phone data and GPS information from OnStar provided the most damaging testimony. That and the video from Paul's phone sharing Alex's voice in the background. This brings us to the conclusion of this episode of True Crime in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd also like to support the show in a small way, you can buy me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com, Renee Robertson. I currently don't receive any compensation for this podcast, so every little bit helps me continue producing new content. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have there at wowwomenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Daniel Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.